0: Oh, okay. We wish you were a Christmas Oh, for goodness sake. Okay. Oh. Anybody else here sometimes just feel a little bit distracted? Just like there's just a little bit too much going on. Exactly. It's just, you, you just got so much on your mind. Your to-do list is so massive, you're running on empty. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, you're busy, you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, you forget things, and and it's just, you realize that there's so much to do, but if you don't do it, nobody else will, and you got to step in there. Ever feel that way? Just raise your hands. Ever feel that way? Yeah, most of us here, right? Most of us. If that's where you're at, today's message is for you. That's what this passage is going to be all about. That's what we're going to be focusing on as headed to this uh, end of this crazy season, we're going to look at how do you get go of distractions? In traveling light, how do you get rid of the things that throw you off point, off focus of what it is that Jesus has for you? So today we're going to travel light by getting rid of distractions, and we're going to do so by going to dinner with Mary and Martha. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to that and get ready. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 32 as we get into this, let me just start by doing a little bit of confession here up front. I used to teach at Carey Baptist College for about 10 years. I went from youth pastoring to lecturing at a Bible college in less than four weeks. And while I remember getting into my office, sitting in my office, getting my list of the courses that I'm going to teach for that next semester, sitting there thinking, how in the world am I going to fake this? <laughs> How in the world am I going to teach pastoral care and the Gospel of John and Christian ethics to all these people that are training to be pastors? And then it dawned on me, they're reading the same textbook that I'm reading. And I'm like, these classes are three hours long. I just have to know three hours more than they do every week. And, and I just had to be ahead of them by three hours. And, and often... I feel the same way here on a Sunday morning. Uh, I realize I'm reading the same Bible as you are, and the good thing is that I know what I'm preaching on for the following weekend, so I get a bit of a one-week head start on you all. But often, I'm just trying to stay one weekend ahead of everybody, especially when we're looking at books and topics that I've never really done any teaching on. That usually works. Usually. Today's topic... Not so much. Not so much. I'm not one week in ahead on this topic today. I'm actually way behind when it comes to busyness and learning t- to slow down. I've struggled with this my entire life. I always take too much on. Always. And it's not because I like being busy. I don't like being busy. I'm not an active rester. When I rest, I want to crash. But I'm responsible. And I'm highly aware of any gaps that are out there, so I try to fill them all in. I try to fill them all in. Things have to get done, and no one else will do it except for me because I'm the one that saw it. It just has to be me that gets it done. It's been my response to most of my ministry, most of my work, instead of doing what I think this passage is telling us to do. The problem with busyness and being overworked and and go, 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 go is that there's a price to this. There is a price to this. The World Health Organization estimates that nearly 400,000 people died from stroke and 350,000 people died from heart disease in the year 2016 as a result of working 55 hours a week or more. In the last 20 years, the number of deaths from heart disease due to working too long increased by 42%, and dying from stroke increased 20%. There's a problem with this. There's symptoms of being overloaded, common symptoms of being overworking. Fatigue is a big one. Fatigue is not being tired. Fatigue is that you're so tired you have a lack of motivation. You can't get any quality work done. I'll sit there, and I'll stare at my computer, and it'll take me... Twice as many hours to do something because it's just kind of, I just kind of stare in zone. Uh, Lack of sleep causes health problems, focus problems, premature aging. I'm 32 years old. You wouldn't guess it, right? I'm so tired. Um, feeling distracted, hard to focus, forgetting names and forgetting dates. It weakens your immune system. Headaches and stomach aches and, and, and high blood pressure. I, my breakfast is a number of pills on the table as I just take them and I'm like, I'm full. Um, bad moods, stress, premature uh, stress and pressure and anxiousness and overreacting to things. Weight fluctuations, which I don't understand because my weight fluctuation only goes one way. When it goes up. But I eat to stay awake, and it's always junk food just to stay awake. Poor work balance, where my family suffers and and there's no friends and it's all work. What I'm saying is, busyness is very expensive. There's high costs associated with this, there's high consequences associated with this. And I say this because, according to the story we're about to read, by nature, I'm a Martha, I'm not a Mary. See, now Martha, in the story you're about to read, has been described with words like empty and rushed and busy and stressed and fatigued and overloaded. How many would say that could describe you right now? It's that time of the year, right? It's the most wonderful time. No, it's not. There's a lot of Marthas here today. Now, I've noticed that there's a lot of people who didn't raise their hands. I would say like half of us would say that you're more of a Mary Then, instead of a Martha. So for the next 30 minutes, because this sermon is more for the Marthas, you folks that didn't raise your hands, you can just sit there and feel superior today while we look at this. Okay, So Luke 10, starting at verse 38, for those of us that raised their hands. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, and soon we're going to find out her last name is Stuart, uh, Martha opened her home to him (laughs) She had a sister called Mary. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus, and this is not Mary Magdalene, and this is not uh, Mary, who is the wife of Cleophas, and this isn't one of the other seven Marys that's mentioned in the New Testament. Apparently, there was a real shortage of names in the first century. (laughs) Happens a lot in the Bible. But this was Mary, the uh, sister of Martha. And so she sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now, this story, is quickly, is just a good example of Luke's concern for women. All through the Gospel of Luke and all through Acts, there's a a concern to emphasize that women were key disciples in Jesus' ministry. Mary here is a disciple in the fullest sense. Sitting at the feet of Jesus was not a subservient role. This was like sitting at the front of the class, she was at the head of the class as a full disciple, not in the back room. As a woman, Jesus had completely countercultural approaches to women: women in leadership, women in ministry. He lifted people up, like women in the first century that society would hold down and put down. Now, going on with the story. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. He came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, 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 the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. I hate this story. This story has always bugged me, because I'm a Martha, and the problem with this world, the problem with the church, is that the world needs more Marthas, right? Can I get an amen from that, right? I think this is probably the only time Jesus was wrong in this story, (laughs) is that he didn't understand how the word really works, but here's the deal with busy people. He's not saying Martha was evil. Martha was being hospitable. And she's probably taking care of not only the dinner for the night, but also church matters and business matters and relational matters all at the same time. So, so what, what went wrong? What's wrong here? Well, like many Christians, Martha was very eager. To get involved very eager to make a difference so she opened up her home to him and if you are eager to serve jesus and you're eager to make a difference what happens is you start volunteering you start getting involved you start serving others and you start running church programs and then all of a sudden you start getting distracted by the details of those ministries notice that jesus says that she was distracted by all the preparations That she had to do. So how does that happen? Imagine Jesus, God made flesh, sitting in your living room with your life group, having chips and kiwi dip on the couch, talking to you about things, and there's something that's so important for you to get done that you can't put it off until he's gone. So like, okay, Jesus, you just stay in there. I got to get all this other stuff done. But maybe it's not that obvious. What if Jesus came siding up to you right now, sitting in the pew right where you're at, and just said, hey, hey, I need to talk to you for about two minutes, come join me in the cafe. You probably wouldn't go, right? Because you're saying, Jesus, look, I gotta wait till Brian's done. In fact, I gotta wait till Brian cries. Because he hasn't cried yet. And that's usually the most important part of the whole talk. So hang on, and then as soon as he loses it, we can go and talk. You probably wouldn't do that, right? because it's never that obvious. See, I became a pastor to connect people, connect God's people with people who don't know Jesus yet so they can meet Jesus. That's why I became a pastor. But very soon, that goal, that calling gets lost, and it gets lost with budgeting issues. And, and looking at budgeting details. It gets lost with staff development. It gets lost with sermon prep. And pretty soon, I'm not reading the Bible anymore for my own spiritual understanding, but I'm only reading the Bible for professional reasons, like I got another sermon to do the following Sunday. You start with good intentions, but somewhere, good intentions as a, sp- as a spouse, good intentions as a parent, good intentions as a worker, or somehow you knew you are gonna change the world, somewhere the details start wearing you down. And as a result, you get self-absorbed. And you start thinking things like, if it wasn't for me, nothing would get what? Nothing would get done around this place, right? I'm always the one picking up around here. I'm always the one that's got to organize everything. No one else around here does anything. Ever think of that? Ever think those kind of phrases to yourself? And when you get that self-absorbed, what happens is you soon say things that you later regret. All Martha's do. And she does here. Look at what she actually says. She actually says to Jesus, the Messiah who came to die on the cross for our sins and rise again so we could be with him with his Father in heaven. She actually says to Jesus, Don't you care? seriously? Think about that for a second. She interrupts him, and she does this, and when she interrupts him, what's Jesus doing? He's teaching, right? He's teaching, and he's not just teaching Mary. There was always a huge crowd wherever Jesus was. He's teaching to a room full of people, and Mary's part of that group. It's like a big classroom, and Martha comes in and interrupts Jesus while he's teaching, teaching stuff that's probably going to be in the Bible, and she is worked up, and she comes in and goes, excuse me, Excuse me. Everybody here, look, I know Jesus is talking about, you know, words of God and all that. But if I can just interrupt Mr. Messiah for a second here and just say one thing. Nobody, nobody's in the kitchen helping me make onion dip and asparagus rolls. (laughs) Don't you care? Look what she says. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Look at the phrases. Look at those pronouns. Me and my and myself and me. It's all about me. I have such a heavy load to bear. Nobody understands. And what happens with self-absorption is that it soon makes you resentful. It's the next stage. It's the stage that Mary was at. My sister has left me to do all the work by myself, and you don't even care. And you call yourself the Messiah. (laughs) It's so easy to get there. So easy to become resentful. It's easy to become resentful as a pastor in ministry. It's easy to become resentful as a spouse in a a marriage. Easy to become resentful as a parent who's always doing all the work. Easy to be resentful as a teacher who works so hard and doesn't get paid for anything. It's so easy to be resentful as a volunteer and realize I'm the only one doing everything around here. Now, Mary pops in, interrupts Jesus, and she's confident. She knows Jesus is going to take her side. She knows Jesus is going to say, right, you know, you're right. We need to organize better. All the load shouldn't be just on you. But he totally surprises her by not taking her side. See, almost any management guru would say, "Uh, look, Martha's right. We need to totally reorganize. We need to delegate. We need to delegate some of these tasks. But Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, he spots something in her, and he surprises her, and he diagnoses her as the unhealthy one here. She's the unhealthy one here. And he says, you are worried and upset about many things. He's saying, Martha, this is not sustainable. You're not going to be able to follow me with all this heavy responsibility baggage on your shoulders. What started as dedication has now ended up as irritation. It happens in church all the time, all the time. So what's the cure? What's the cure to this one word? Priority. It's about priority. Priority. That's what the story is all about. It's about priority. In a society that is driven by uh, frantic and disjointed and becoming more disconnected and more mobile and more distracted, the word priority gets thrown around a lot in our world, right? It sounds so good. You hear people saying all the time, look, I just got to get my priorities straight. just got to get my priorities straight. What does that really mean? Well, let's break that word down here for a second. It comes from the word prior. Right? Prior. And as you know what prior means, prior means before. Before. So a priority is something you do before everything else. It precedes everything else. It doesn't mean that you have to um, have all these other things in your life, it doesn't mean that you have to get rid of everything, but the priority is the foundation for all those other things to happen in your life. So what is it in your life that comes before everything else? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, this should be really easy to answer, right? There should be only one answer. What is the one thing in your life that comes before everything else when it comes to following Jesus? There's only one answer, right? And that answer is guilt, right? No, it's not. You're supposed to laugh at that. Don't go, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a little scary. That's our next series, apparently. Um, don't say it out loud, but I want you to think about this. If you were to write down on a piece of paper the number one priority for your life as a believer, what would it be? What would you write it down? The number one priority for your life as a believer. Not two or three things, and that's where it gets hard. Because already you're mentally going, gosh, what is it? Because family's a priority. Marriage comes before family, and, and marriage and family comes before job, and i got to provide for my family, so it can't be just one. But I'm not talking about priorities I'm talking about priority, one. What's the one thing? And the Bible talks about this a lot. In Psalm 27, David writes, one thing, one thing I have asked from the Lord, one thing do I seek. There's a little phrase in Philippians 3, verse 13, this one thing I do. Luke 10, 42, we just read it. Jesus says, only a few things are necessary, really, only one. So the good news is that there's only one thing. The bad news There's only one thing. And if you don't get that one right, everything else kind of goes off course. So what's the priority, singular? What's the one thing? And Jesus said it when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is your priority, he says. Everything else follows this. So what do you do with that? I mean, serious, that's nice. It preaches nice. But what do you do with that? How do you create a a rhythm so that your life reflects that in everything you do? Now think about the words that described uh, Martha. She was distracted. She was worried. She was upset. But then look at the verbs that were used to describe Mary. She chose. She sat. She listened. Mary has chosen what was better. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him. And those are our action steps. One of the easiest passages to talk about. These are our action steps on how to apply this to our lives, for us to choose to sit and to listen. And the first thing you got to do is you got to choose. You gotta choose, and that means to distinguish the central from the peripheral. We each have to make a choice. Ever find yourself thinking, man, I got 10 things to do, and they just all have to be done. They all gotta be done on Saturday, like Cecilia was saying. On Saturday, get them all done, so then you can come here and relax. And if you don't do all 10 or 20 things on your list, well, then nothing's gonna be right. See, when you get to a point where your list, and everything on that list is equally important, That's proof that you're not yet at this point of choosing what is better. Jesus said that Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. See, it started by Mary's conscious decision, decision to choose. She didn't accidentally like, trip and just fall at the feet of Jesus and go, ooh, good seat. She, she says she chose. She says she chose to sit here. She saw Martha in the kitchen wrapping all those little asparagus things, and she chose not to do that and to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is endorsing that. She, um, she chose not to buy into Martha's priorities. And for you and me who live in a world that says we have the right and the responsibility and the duty to do more and have more and know more and be more, this is not buying into those cultural priorities. How often do you say to someone, hey, how you doing? Keeping busy? How often do you say that? How do you tell a fish is wet when all they know is life underwater? See, busyness is such a huge part of our culture, we don't even notice anymore. Think about your conversations. Hey, how you doing? Oh, busy? And you're like, cool. Why do you say that? It's like that's the highest thing we can aspire to. Hey, cool, great. Keep on being superficial. Hey, yeah, thank you. You too, bye-bye. It's like, really? That's what our society has become? I mean, the crazy thing here is that um, busy isn't better, is what Jesus is saying. Choosing better. Is better. Choosing, that'll preach actually. Choosing better is better. Uh, Better isn't better. Choosing better is better. But the problem is, we often don't choose at all. We don't make that choice. We don't choose to be busy. We just kind of get swept away by this wave of busy living. Colossians 3 talks about this. Verse 2 Great translation in the message. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. absorbed with things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. See, what this is, the phrase that is thrown out when you talk about how to live this way, it's about being intentional in your living. It's intentional living. So easy for me to just kind of drift through the day from one thing to the next, from one to-do list to the next thing to the next thing, tick, 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 and never kind of wake up and just kind of reorient myself and ask myself, what's the most important thing for me to do today? Um... A few years ago, Rachel and I took our whole family to Disneyland, whole family. It was the summer of California, so it was going to be crazy busy, right? Spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to stand in line for like half a day. And so we found this app, we found this app where everybody can choose what they really want to do on that day in Disneyland, and you put those things in, and the app will give you a schedule for the day so you can make sure you fit in all the things that you choose on that day and not get distracted by the crowds and the music and the shops and those two big rodents that run around all over Disneyland. And so that by the end of the day, you can say, that was a great day because I got to do what I wanted to do. All seven of us could say, great day, because we got to do what we each wanted to do. See, the issue here is you have to choose. Otherwise, you just get swept away by the moment. And you need need to make a conscious choice to prioritize time with Jesus. We need to distinguish the central from the peripheral. See, Martha probably did not have to create a big elaborate production on this day that Jesus was at at her house. She could have probably thrown out some bread and some olives, and everybody would have been happy, five minutes done, and can join in the conversation. But we forget that in the first century, there was this elaborate food culture. There was huge pressure in the first century to put a big royal spread out whenever you had guests over to your house. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm fine. I don't need all that. Just throw some sausages on the grill, lamb, lamb sausages. Um, Because we are here for the word of God today. See, hospitality is about being present with others in the presence of Jesus. Hospitality is not a My Kitchen Rules competition. The reason we don't have people over is because it's so much work and so expensive to get all the good food. Just throw some pasta in a pot and have a good time. See, saying yes to Jesus means choosing to say no to other things. We all know this. But let me just give you some concrete examples. This year, for the first time, I can't believe it, for the first time, Rachel and I are actually having the conversation. Think it be okay to not put the Christmas tree up this year? We normally get this thing up. Your idea is October would be great. Maybe June. And, and I'm like, day after Thanksgiving, right? Let's get it up. Let's get it up early. And when it's not up yet, and we're like, what if? If we didn't get the tree up, would it still be a Merry Christmas? Because if we don't put the tree up, we're going to have some margin, first time in a long time. And we can do some spontaneous things right before Christmas and right after Christmas and kind of sit, sit in the reality of Jesus breaking into history at Christmas time. See, during the busy Christmas season, this is what Catherine was talking about in our call of worship, our to-do list is like two arm lengths long, Right? And would it be a disaster, really? Would it be a disaster if you didn't get all those things done? Would it be a disaster if my toddler wears the same clothes two days in a row? Because I'm not caught up on the laundry. Would it be a disaster? Nah. Now, sometimes it's small things like that, but sometimes it's significant changes. Like choosing to go into a low-maintenance mode uh, and, and have some margin to not do more, but margin to rest, to recalibrate, to spend some time with Jesus. Um, Our church, what was behind our church doing this car boot idea this year is that for our Christmas celebration was because we had to have a conversation as a staff team, and we thought, it's kind of time to do a big production. We have a history of productions here. Let's do a big production. As soon as we said it, we all went, oh, man. Oh, my goodness. So then our next idea is, how about a big walkthrough? It can start from this side of the church and go outside and inside and through, and you experience the story of Christmas and going through. We got all excited about it, and then we looked at it on the board and went, oh, no, that'll be so much work. So then we thought, how about this? We don't have the energy this year of all the changes that have happened this past year, with all the new things that are going to be launching next year, for us to get on board with what God is doing and what he wants. Let's do something fun, but let's do something we can share in. We can share the prep load with the whole church, like a car boot Christmas. And we can all have fun, all have a little sliver of responsibility, and all sit at the feet of Jesus and be a gift to our city in this way. See, we all know that you got to say no to some things in order to say yes to others. You just can't keep adding stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff in your calendar. That's what barnacles do. That's not what followers of Jesus do. We need to be smarter than a barnacle. Actually, that would be a better title for this message. Be smarter than a barnacle. So why do you got to choose? And the story tells us you choose so that you can sit. You choose so you can be like Mary and just sit. People long for this. A time to set aside for spiritual prep and not just physical preparation. Because that's how God wired us. He made us to sit in his presence and, and, and be prepared for life by spending time with him. And that was Martha's problem. Remember, she was distracted by all the preparations that she had to do. Physical preparations. Here's another true confession from me. I'm not always paying attention when we worship, especially in the first half of this church service. I love worship at the end because I can relax and worship. But beforehand, I'm sitting there in the pew and I'm thinking, okay, what's next? Are we doing the transitions right? Are all the lights properly right? Is my microphone on? Did I tell the AV team that I got a, a, a video that I want to play in the message? You ever get distracted in worship? You ever get distracted when I'm preaching? Surely not. <laughs> Surely not. While I'm preaching, sitting there going, now where is that Christmas angel? Where's that angel? I want, I look at those speakers. How secure are those speakers up there? I want to, if they were to fall, would it kill Brian or just maim (laughs) him? What, what would happen there? Um, You know, I think what I'll do is at the last song, because the coffee's free and the food always runs out because it's free. I think during that last song, I think maybe I'll just sneak out towards the end so I can get in line first for the coffee. Mm, I'm feeling kind of hungry. What are we going to do for lunch today? Well, I'm preaching the word of God. Um, should, we, should we go to Sugar Bowl? No, nah, how about we haven't been to Winter Winter in a while. Texting, where do you want to go to for lunch today? Maybe we should just go home. Do we have any food at home? Oh, that reminds me, I've got to get some milk on the way home. I wonder how busy the base is going to be this afternoon. Oh, 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 he's closing in prayer. Right? Right? Tell me my wife's not the only one. Right? Right? It's so easy. So easy to go there, right? So easy. And Second Corinthians talks about this. I'm afraid, however, just as Eve was deceived by the Spirit's cunning, your minds may be led astray from your simple and pure devotion to Christ. See, that's all we got to do. Have simple and pure devotion to Christ. That's the one thing. But Satan... This verse reminds you. Gets in the way. And he doesn't attack us with demons and stuff crawling out of televisions and playing music backwards and stuff. Um, he doesn't even try to make you doubt. He doesn't try to make you an atheist. He doesn't even have to try and make you sin. He doesn't have to distract you or, or tempt you if, with bad stuff. He can distract you with good stuff. You ever been distracted from your pure, simple devotion to Jesus by the news headlines? Or about worries about the recession rates and the interest rates that are coming up and how you're going to pay for your house or worries about your own health or worries about your kids or by watching Harry and Meghan's special on Netflix. All that stuff distracts you, right? And if that works, well, then his plans are working. Satan's plans are working. That's all he's got to do. All we have to do is set our simple and pure focus on Jesus. So do you have margin to do that? And that's what this is about. Do you have the margin to schedule in your daily life, to block some time off in your calendar, on your phone, whatever, to spend time with Jesus? We are so busy. Treat time with God like an appointment. Make the appointment. Now, believe it or not, you're not going to believe it. I used to go to the gym. (laughs) And the gym was my time. Now, as an American, you probably think I went because of all the mirrors. That's not why I went. The gym was a time to just sit and be with God for me. It's very hard to write a sermon when you're bench pressing. You can't do it. It, But it's a great way to think and to pray and kind of zone out of the craziness of the day. But I haven't had the margin to do that kind of thing, to exercise like that for a while. Imagine if you had margin. What your life would look like if you had margin. If you had breathing room in your schedule. Imagine how your life might feel. How different your week would look like. Imagine if you have, for instance, let's say your life group is on Wednesday. Imagine if Wednesday night comes along, and imagine saying to yourself, um, not saying to yourself, oh man, I'm so busy, I don't think I can go, I don't have time, why did I say yes to that life group in the first place? Imagine if that's not the conversation, and imagine instead the conversation is, I'm so glad Wednesday night's here, I can't wait to see everybody, I just want to sit and share some stuff and pray and relax. See, those things only happen when you choose to say no to some of the other good things in your life. So you can say yes to the most important thing and sit and have some downtime. And if you do that, you can do the next thing that Mary says we should be doing, and that is we can listen. That's what it takes. The final point is to listen. It means to practice Jesus-focus, not self-focus. Remember all those personal pronouns? Me, my, me, myself, all that stuff. You get so worked up. You get so overworked up that you can't listen. Look at this verse in Matthew. Jesus said, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Sounds great, right? How? All the Marthas in the room, how do we do this? How do you listen to God? Well, this is what I find. The best place to start is to go to your Bible and find all those great passages that are about the positive promises from God's word. Things like, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Things like, all things God works together for good for those who are called to his purposes. Take those things, don't just read them, but write them out. Write them out on some cards, put a rubber band around it, throw it in your computer bag, throw it on the dashboard of your car, throw it in your purse, and then regularly kind of bring them out and read them. Don't put them on your phone. Because you just copy-paste, you don't think about it. Literally write them out and let those words sink in a little bit and learn to hear God's accent when he talks. And watch yourself be able to relax as you read those cards three, four, five times a day. What music do you listen to? Make a playlist of Christian songs. Songs, though, that sing about the love of God or songs that are direct Um, singing of Scripture right from the Bible. Make time to listen to those with your playlist while you drive, while you walk. And what's going to happen are these are two very simple, practical ways to live out this verse. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. How do you practically make time to do that? So these things here, choose, sit, listen. I promise you, I promise you that as you do those things, I promise you, you will still get frustrated in life. I promise you that as you do those things, you will still feel overwhelmed at times. I promise you that as you choose to take time to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words, to scripture and prayer and songs, I promise you that there'll be times when you're like, does this even work? Because that's the world we live in and we're just human. But when you do do those things, what you're doing is you're creating a foundation. It's a foundation on which you will build your life. And in those busy times, what you're doing is you're developing some margin for when the busy times hit. And ultimately, Christian transformation isn't about changing your behavior. It's about putting yourself in a place where God can change you, where Jesus can change you, where the Holy Spirit can change you through his power, through his grace, not by trying harder, but by still, by being still and having time set aside for just you and God. Let's pray. Ah, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this reminder. In a season of life with Christmas and summer and all the holidays that are about to happen when we're just so busy and we're living by reading a to-do list every day and not your scripture, help us to take time. What I love about our church is that at least on a Sunday, we put time set aside to gather, to hear your word, to, to listen to songs, to sing songs with one another, to rest and reflect God, give us the courage to say no. Give us the courage to say yes to what is better. And with all the hard work that we have to do with our jobs and our families and our homes, while we do want to work hard and while we do want to be productive, Holy Spirit, help us find a pace that is sustainable to know when to say no, to know when to say yes, and to know when to sit at your feet because we can't do life in our power. We're not God, you are. Help us be people who follow you into your good purpose for our lives. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.